0: Lord. you are the light, the light of the world, you say Jesus. And we trust you. We trust that you are that light, the one who lights our path, cures our blindness. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right Is that okay? Or are we going to be blown? <coughs> Well, tonight we get to finish John chapter 12. This is the end of Jesus' public ministry. And it will be the last time Jesus says something to the world in the Gospel of John. From here on out, John 13 onward, there's only two things. Jesus has his last instructions for his disciples his last comfort for them, his last words to them, and of course his actual death and resurrection. This will be the last thing Jesus has to say to the world. The hour of Jesus' death is at hand. That hour that we have talked about since the beginning of this book, the hour has finally come. We'll be starting in verse 20. Verse 20 says this. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast, the feast of Passover. These Greeks then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. See, the Greeks are seeking Jesus. The Gentiles have come. They've heard of Jesus' fame. And so they come to Him to approach Him to hear about this teacher. Most likely these Greeks were God-fearers, right? They're in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. They came to worship uh, a God that was... Not theirs by nation, he's the God of Israel, but one that they respected and feared nonetheless, despite being Gentile. And so they want to see this Jesus who who explains this God, who talks about this God of Israel. They want to see this one who so many think is the Messiah. And it's interesting because we don't know anything beyond that. We don't know if they ever met Jesus. We don't know if they ever saw him. We don't know if Jesus ever had a conversation. In fact, that's not John's point. His point is that these Greeks seeking Jesus tell Jesus, they're like a sign to Jesus that his death has come. That it's time for him to die. In retrospect, I think we can understand that better than they would have at the time. Because we knew that Jesus, to save the Gentiles, would have to die to make a way for them. But this is a sign to Jesus, my time has come. And and as soon as the Greeks approach him, he knows, he says, my hour has come to be glorified. And of course, as I've said before, and we'll see tonight really comes to a head, glorification in Jesus' language in John means his death, his crucifixion. Jesus' crucifixion is his glorification. So Jesus says this. He explicitly ties together glorification and death. The very next thing he says, My hour has come. And then he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is of course talking about his own life. His own life as a seed. A seed that when not planted, when not die when it has not died and gone into the earth, it remains by itself. But Jesus knows that his death will bear much fruit. It will bring many to salvation. So Jesus explicitly says, yes, the hour of my glorification has come, and I'm going to die. See, he ties those together. Jesus recognizes that they're one and the same. His glorification is his death. And then he says this to his disciples, to those who would follow him. He who loves his life, loses it. And he who hates his life, In this world, will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus says, Not only is it my death that will bear much fruit, but those who want to call themselves my followers, my servants, will follow me to death see we look at that verse and we think of it when we think of it we pull it apart from where it's situated in the gospel of John he who loves his life loses it he who hates his life keeps it the one who follows me will be where I am where is Jesus saying they're going to follow him where is he about to go the cross the cross is where he's about to go If anyone serves me, he must follow me. What is Jesus saying? He is saying that he must follow me to my death. And like me, he must die. What's that mean for the disciple? Well, Jesus explains it, right? If you love your life so much, it's your overriding concern, that selfish desire to keep your own life and make it your own you actually will lose your very life. That won't last eternally. It's only the one who hates his life, which is a typical Semitic saying. It doesn't mean like you actively hate and want to destroy. It means you value it less than honoring God, is really what he's saying. If you value your own life less than honoring God, then you will keep your life. It's through the act of recognizing that your life must follow Jesus to his suffering and death. It is that act by which you find salvation in him. Recognizing that you submit yourself fully to Jesus. Submit your life 100% to him. That you truly would be willing to lose your life if it was for God's honor like Jesus is about to do would you follow him to that death that's what Jesus is saying we have to remember that we have to remember that the call of discipleship is a call to suffering and death Jesus says it is the one who follows Jesus the one who serves him has to follow him and Jesus is saying I'm going to the cross Jesus goes on. I love this because it's so human. It's so human. And so often we forget about how deeply and truly human Jesus was. We think of him as deity. We think of him as God. We think of him as all these things. And we forget that the man, Jesus Christ, was fully human, was beset by trouble and pain. And he says this, Now my soul has become troubled. Jesus is troubled at the impending nature of his death. Jesus does not want to die. Humans were not meant to die. Death is antithetical to what God made us. He made us for life. And according to this gospel, as we've read, Jesus himself is life. What does it mean for life to die? Jesus is troubled. He does not want to die because he is a man. And like all humans, he does not want to die. We were intended for life. My soul has become troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. As quickly as Jesus is troubled, he also at the same time is in complete obedience to his Father, without a single iota of doubt that he will do his Father's will. My soul has become troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It was for this purpose I came to this hour. Literally, the purpose of my ministry, the purpose of the incarnation, the purpose of me being here was to come to this hour so that I might die. Jesus says, all that I have done, everything you've read about in this gospel, was coming to this moment. This is where I've been headed all along. And then Jesus prays. He says this, Father, glorify your name. Jesus, the obedient son, the perfect submission of Jesus, he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. God responds to Jesus' prayer. Saying not only have I glorified my name, and in this case I think we can specifically say one way he's glorified it is all that Jesus has done so far, right? All the miracles, all the signs that he's done. were glorifying glorifying God's name. He says, I will glorify it again. I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And I think he's talking about what's about to happen. The glorifying of God's name will happen chiefly through the cross of Jesus Christ. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard this voice were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. The crowd misunderstands, which we've seen all throughout John 2. They hear a voice, but they can't understand what it has to say. They can't discern it. Some people say, oh, it must have just been thunder. Some people say, oh, it was a, it is an angel speaking to Jesus. But no one knows that it's the voice of the Father except Jesus. Remember, Jesus has said throughout this gospel that the Jews don't know his father. When the father speaks, they don't understand his voice. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Jesus is saying, I didn't need this voice to speak to be reassured about my father hearing me. I know he hears me. It came for you as a revelation to you that I am this one as it was ultimately what Jesus is saying. It's for your sakes. It's for the crowd's sake. Another testament to who Jesus is that they can't grasp. This voice has not come for my sake but for your sakes. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if uh, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus says, this same hour, this hour of God's glorification, this hour of my death, is actually the defeat of Satan. And it seems so backwards from what any of us would look at the picture and understand. How is Jesus on the cross the defeat of Satan? How is Satan killing the Lord of glory God's plan? And yet Jesus says that without any hesitation. He says, no, it is this very hour of my death that is judgment on the world. And I imagine it's judgment because of what they've done to God. But it's also judgment in a positive way. Why? Because the ruler of this world that has held it in bondage is going to be cast out, it says. Don't remember that... Don't ever forget that... um, Judgment has a positive connotation, too. The judgment of Satan is for our benefit. It's to our benefit that Jesus in the cross judges Satan and his work. He says, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus is making the point, if I am lifted up, which of course by lifted up, he means crucified but lifted up is also the word that means exalted or glorified see it's a double entendre it's speaking to realities to lift it up to be lifted up is to be exalted is to be glorified but it's also the idea of being lifted up on the cross raised from the earth on a cross jesus says when i'm lifted up I will draw all men to myself. He's going to make a way for everyone. Jesus, if he does this, if he's lifted up, he will make a way for everyone to find salvation. If they believe. But this act, this is an act, uh, the crucifixion is an act of Jesus drawing people to him, wooing them towards him, Leading them towards Jesus. The cross is that act that draws all men to Jesus. And we know that lifted up is referring to the cross because John tells us in the next verse. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. He said the part about lifted up, he said that to indicate that he was going to die on a cross what John says and what's so unique about the spot in John 12 is that the crowd seems to understand some things finally the crowd says we have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever the Christ is never going to leave we've heard in the law that Christ is never going to leave How, how can Oh, excuse me how then can you say that the son of man must be lifted up how can you say that the son of man is going to be lifted up well obviously they understand he's talking about death they get it because they juxtapose Christ remaining forever and the son of man being lifted up They understand that if the Son of Man is lifted up, it can't be remaining forever. They get it. They finally understand Jesus is talking about death. They say that they read from the law. It's hard to know what they're referring to. It could be a lot of different things. It could be the Davidic line that will last forever. Remember, David is promised a house and a kingdom that will never end. Maybe that's what they're referring to. Whatever the case, the Jews believe that the Christ will never leave, will always be present. And as we saw earlier in John 12, on the triumphal entry, they think Jesus is this Christ. They may have a wrong conception of it, but they do think He is a Christ. So they say, how, when the law says that Christ is going to remain forever, how can you say this Son of Man is going to be lifted up how can the son of man die who is this son of man when they say who is this son of man they're not asking who is this son of man figure we don't know they obviously know Jesus has referred to himself that way in fact the son of man is the title Jesus refers to himself by most often by they know when Jesus says son of man, he's referring to himself. They're not saying, so who is the son of man you keep talking about, Jesus? They're saying, what type of person is this son of man you keep talking about? We have our ideas of what Christ is going to be like. He's going to drive out the Romans. He's going to remain forever. And you talk about the son of man being lifted up. Who is this guy? He doesn't sound like anyone we've ever heard of. That's what they're asking. They understand Jesus is talking about himself. What they can't understand is that Jesus is saying things that don't make sense to the idea they have of who Christ is going to be. How can you say you're going to die? You're the Christ. Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light. So that you may become sons of light. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here much longer. Believe in me while you have the chance. I will not be here forever. Your chance to repent and believe is now. While I walk amongst you, the very light of the world walking amongst you. Believe while you can. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. Jesus goes and hides, and that's the last thing he decides to say to the people. Jesus' ministry is is closing. It is the last thing he has to say to the people. And from here on out, Jesus has words for his disciples, for those who are closest to him. And then he heads to the cross. The last two sections are summary sections. John summarizes the whole of Jesus' public ministry. First, by talking about the response to Jesus' ministry. And then second, by having Jesus give a summary of all the things that have made up what the testimony of His ministry have been about. Things we've heard about all the way from John 1 through John 12. In verses 37 forty-three. you have this summary. John says here, you want to know what the response of the Jews was to Jesus? Let me tell you. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I'm going to give you two backgrounds for this section, this summary section that John talks about Jesus' whole ministry. I'm going to give you two backgrounds. I'm going to do them in order. First is Isaiah 53, one of the few Old Testament passages that everyone knows. Isaiah 53 a servant song of the suffering servant That's what John quotes from and it's it makes perfect sense that with everything John has been saying he quotes from Isaiah 53 because what is the point of Isaiah 53 that this servant will be beaten and killed and he will be a, a man of sorrows and grief and will be lifted up. In Isaiah, when you hear lifted up, when he says it, it sounds like he will be honored. And of course Jesus will be honored. But when you read Isaiah, it doesn't sound like he will be crucified. But the same terms of lifting up and glory show up in Isaiah 53. That's what John quotes from. Here, I'll, I'll read it to you. It starts in Isaiah 52, verse 13. I'm not going to read the whole song, but I'll read up to it, at least where it, he quotes from. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. Here's John's quote. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. What could sound more like the Jewish response to Jesus than what I just read? And we haven't even seen the half of it yet, have we? Because we haven't gotten to the crucifixion and what they do to him. John quotes from that because it shows the response of the people to Jesus. John read Isaiah and realized, wow, This is what their response was to Jesus. Just like that servant in Isaiah 53. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, here's the second background. He's quoting from another spot in Isaiah. Isaiah 6. He quotes from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is a very important passage in Isaiah. Why? It's the call of Isaiah. There's a very famous passage in the Old Testament. I'll give you my, uh, my rendition of it, my paraphrase of it, and I'll read you just a few verses. But remember, Isaiah has a vision of being in the throne room of God. And while he's there, it says God is in his temple. He's in his throne room. And he's sitting on the throne, and Isaiah sees him, And he sees his face is covered with the wings of the seraphim, of angels. And what does Isaiah say? They say, the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we kind of misunderstand Isaiah's response sometimes because what Isaiah says is, I am undone. What does Isaiah think is going to happen? He thinks he's about to die. Isaiah's not pumped to see God. He's not, oh, this is so amazing. He's terrified for his life. He falls on his face and says, I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He's saying we are vulgar, we are unclean. And I see the Lord, my life is forfeit. I'm going to die. And God, in His great mercy, has one of the seraphim go to the altar and take a coal and put it on Isaiah's lips, those unclean lips of Isaiah. And when the coal from the altar touches Isaiah's lips, he's cleansed. He's purified from the altar. And once he is purified... God doesn't even address Isaiah. He just says, whom shall I send? He's saying it to the court. He's in his royal throne room. and He's saying it to the court of people around him. And Isaiah, who has been cleansed, says, here I am, send me. Because once he's been cleansed, he's ready to go. This God has cleansed him and he's ready to serve him. Because of God's great mercy. And here's the thing. What call does Isaiah get? What call does Isaiah get? He's like, I'm ready to go, God. What's my mission? Tell me what I got to do. And I'm sure Isaiah is instantly heartbroken. Because God says, your mission is to go preach to the people. And they will not believe you. And they will misunderstand you. And they will not hear. And their ears will be deafened. And their hearts will be hardened. And their minds will not understand. And Isaiah says, for how long, O Lord? He says, until destruction comes. Until there's no houses on their foundations. Until all of Israel has been paid for its sin. What a message for Isaiah to receive. What a calling. It's from that calling that John quotes in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, he quotes this. This is the call. This is what Isaiah has been called to say. Go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. That's what John quotes. He says this, For this reason the Jews could not believe. For Isaiah said again, quoting out of Isaiah 6, He has blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. This is a hard Lesson because, from the divine perspective, from the perspective of God, what John is saying is this was God's intention that they not believe, and it had to be, it had to be because otherwise, Jesus would not have died. If they all believed, Jesus would not have been killed. Jesus had to go to the cross for us to be forgiven. So John says, from the divine perspective, God was at work blinding their eyes and hardening their hearts. That is a hard thing to accept. But, but, humans are never forgiven responsibility. They're they're never told that they... Well, it was just God's fault. It was God's fault you didn't believe, so it's okay. It's okay that you didn't believe. No, humans are fully responsible for the choices they make. And somehow, somehow in the design and plan of God, God was at work ensuring that Jesus' death would take place. And humans willingly chose to kill the Messiah. And we know that because of what John's going to say next. I'll get there in one minute. That's verse 42. But verse 41. These things, these two quotes from Isaiah, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. It's generic, these hymns and hisses. It doesn't say what it is. Most people interpret it as Jesus Isaiah back in Isaiah 6 went into the throne room of God and he saw Jesus that's what most people believe I don't believe that I don't believe that because I don't believe in a pre-incarnate Christ when Jesus was not human he was the word He was the Son. He was not just a floaty around version of Jesus Christ. And we have to protect how important the incarnation was, that Jesus actually became human, by remembering that there actually is a moment in time that Jesus really became human. If he was always human, what's so important about him becoming human? If we could always just see Jesus the human... Why is it important that he even became one? See, what I think John is saying is this. These things Isaiah said because he saw his, meaning God's glory. That's what he saw when he went into the temple in Isaiah 6. He saw the glory of God, and he spoke of him, meaning Jesus. Jesus. And what is John saying? What's his point? His point is what he said from the very beginning in John 1. The very glory of God, that's what became Christ. Jesus is one with the glory of God. Jesus is the manifested, the present, tangible, physical, you can touch it, glory of God. And so I don't think John's saying he saw Jesus in some pre-incarnate form. He's saying, just like Isaiah saw God's glory, he's, that's who Jesus is. Isaiah saw God's glory, his glory, and he spoke of Jesus. Even though Isaiah wouldn't have understood who Jesus is, he wouldn't have even understood that name of, of who, who this man was going to become. He might have had some inkling to whatever God had revealed him about Messiah, but even the Jews who were standing in front of Jesus didn't understand who Jesus was. Isaiah saw God's glory, and John wants to remind us, that very glory that Isaiah saw, that's Jesus. Jesus is the manifested glory of God. So, when Isaiah saw his glory, he was speaking of Jesus. Jesus, the very glory of God. Okay, hey, that's an aside. Back to what I was saying about human responsibility. He's just said that God hardened the hearts, blinded the eyes. God was involved, He was at work in the cross, in, in the unbelief. But here's verse 42. Nevertheless, Many, even of the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing it. For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. John does not excuse their unbelief at all. He doesn't say, nevertheless, many of these rulers wanted to believe, but... God just wouldn't let them. Doesn't sound like John's very happy about their unbelief. No. He lays it squarely at their feet. And he says, actually, no. The reason that they wouldn't even confess Jesus is because they were afraid. And they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. That's a scathing Assessment of the Pharisees and of the people who believed in Jesus but were afraid to confess him openly. That's not John saying, well, God just willed it to happen. That's John saying, these men were evil and they did not confess Jesus because they were concerned with their own honor rather than God's. I think I think in light of the fact that Jesus is saying I am going to glorify the Father's name by dying because I love the approval of God rather than men I think John is saying the worst thing he could think of about a person Jesus we've just seen is going to die because he wants to glorify his Father he loves his Father's approval more than the approval of men And so John says the worst thing he can say about those who believe in Jesus but don't actually, aren't willing to pay the cost of that belief. He says, no, they just are out for their own honor. They love men's approval more than God's. That's John's assessment of those who believe. So that's the summary The summary of Jesus' ministry and the response to it. And then John ends the chapter with this. The last words to the world of Jesus. last words to the community, the wider community. And it's a summary of all that Jesus has been saying in John thus far. Jesus cried out and he said... He who believes in me does not believe in me but in him who sent me. From the very beginning Jesus has been saying I am not here of my own initiative. I am God's agent. He sent me. He sent me for a purpose. That's why I'm here. He has said that over and over. The one who believes in me believes in the one who sent me. He who sees me Seize the one who sent me. He and his Father are one. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen me. <clears throat> me meaning the Father, right? You've seen the Father if you've seen Jesus. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Light. Ties the ends of the public ministry together, doesn't it? Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. He says, Here, I came as light into the world. And what does it say in John 1? In Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus' public ministry starts in John, thinking about him as light. It now ends with John with Jesus again as light. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The words which I spoke are what will judge him at the last day. Jesus' very teaching, Jesus' very truth that he has offered That will be the condemnation on people's lives. Because they've rejected Him and rejected what He said. Jesus is saying, don't you get it? You're all already under judgment and condemnation. I didn't put you there. You have. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. But remember, if you don't believe, this is your one chance at salvation. Your one opportunity to salvation is me. There's no other way. It's me or nothing. And let me tell you, if you do not believe, if you reject, there will be a judgment. And the judgment will be the very things which I have revealed to you and said to you. That will judge you in the last day. Why will it judge you in the last day? Why will the things Jesus taught judge people at the last day? Jesus says, because I did not speak on my own. I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Jesus says, it's not my words. It's the Father's words. And if you don't believe him, he's the judge of everything. I didn't make this up. These were not me spitballing down here. I was told what to say and what to speak by my Father. And those words are my Father's words that came through me, and they will judge you. He gave me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak, and I know that His commandment, is eternal life, Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. Jesus says a final plea to the Jews, even knowing he's about to go to the cross, even knowing this is God's will and plan, Jesus still wants to have mercy on them and still gives them opportunities to repent. He says, listen, listen. Everything I have said and done, I did not do or say on my own. It was my Father. If you believe in me, you have found the way to the Father. If you do not believe in me, you don't know me or my Father. There's no other way. It's me or nothing. The Father is the one who gave me that role. The Father is the one who appointed me What to say, what to do, what to speak. To not believe me is to not believe him. And that is the end of Jesus' public ministry. The last thing he offers the world in the Gospel of John. From here on out, John 13 to 17 He's speaking just to His disciples, comforting them, grieving with them, telling them about what's to happen, what is about to transpire, because Jesus knows He's about to die. And so He tells them about the Holy Spirit. He tells them about the age to come. He tells them about how the world is going to treat people who believe in Jesus. He tells them That you're not going to be left as orphans. That I'll be with you again. That my spirit will reside in you. And he prays for them. One last beautiful prayer in John 17. And after that, Jesus goes to his death. The death that he knew knew was coming. We're asked the same question. Even those of us who believe, we're reminded that Jesus' words are not just His own. They are His Father's. There's no other way. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to believe what He says. We have to trust Him. There's no other way to eternal life. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus. how grateful we all should be, all of us in this room, that Jesus knew His hour had come when the Greeks came to Him. Because those Greeks had no hope. No hope of salvation. Jesus even said it in John 4 to the Samaritan woman. Salvation is from the Jews. As Gentiles, every one of us in this room had no hope in this world. When the Gentiles came to Jesus, Jesus knew he had to die so that we might find life. And Jesus paid that price, he died so that Gentiles like us could have salvation. So like Isaiah said, many nations he would sprinkle and cleanse. Let's not forget, even though 2,000 years later, the church is vastly majority made up of Gentiles, and very few Jews believe, even all this time later. Let's not forget that that is a grace and a privilege even after 2,000 years of Gentile belief, let's not forget we were grafted in. It was not ours. We had no hope. Jesus gave us hope. Jesus made a way for us to the Father. Without Jesus, Gentiles had no salvation. Let's remember that this week, what Jesus paid for us particularly For we once were not the people of God. And now we can be. Let me bless you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the people in this room, Lord. I pray you would bless them this week. I pray you would reveal yourself to them this week. May they see, like Isaiah, the light of your glory. And like John told us, that light... glory is Jesus himself. Would you show us to yourself, Jesus? Would your spirit reveal you to us that we might know you better, love you more deeply, and as John 13 we read about next week will teach us, that we might love one another more deeply. For the call of the church is to love one another sacrificially, just like the example Jesus set. Help us to do that well. Help us to build each other up, lift each other up. Lord, I pray you would help me lift this congregation up. Not tear down, not bring shame, but give honor, glorify people. Give them hope and peace. Let them be encouraged. Help us to do that as the church this week. In Jesus' name, by your Spirit's power. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for being here.